Hello from ABA Annual 2016 in San Francisco, California. I'm Sharon Nelson. I am co-hosting this podcast today with John Simic. Hello. And we have three very distinguished guests. If we could start with you, Cindy, and just say your name and what you do. My name is Cindy Cohen, and I'm the Executive Director of the Electronic Frontier Foundation. And I'm James Jones. I'm a United States District Judge and a judge on the U.S. Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court. My name is Mohammed Hafez. I'm the Chairman of the National Security Affairs Department at the Naval Postgraduate School. And we're all here on the road with Legal Talk Network. Thank you so much for joining us on On the Road. It's a pleasure to be here. Today we're talking about U.S. border wars, preventing terrorism, and protecting children. So I guess the first question, Sharon? Yeah. How has uh, terrorism evolved, Professor, over the last several decades? It seems to have changed its nature. It has indeed. And, uh, you know, today, every day, we hear uh, stories of uh, terrorists attacking around the world, whether here in the United States or in Europe. And this is uh, deeply problematic and it's disconcerting to a lot of people and has given rise to a lot of discourse about how best that we could deal with this. And I think the best way to deal with it is first to understand the nature of terrorism and how it has evolved over the years. Um, Increasingly, we are worried about individuals that live within our own societies who are either U.S. citizens or uh, legal residents of the United States who are becoming radicalized and um, unfortunately undertaking acts of violence against uh, civilians. And this is really uh, a problem. This has not always been the case. Uh, For a long time, we were concerned about terrorists that were coming from abroad, from troubled regions of the world where there's tremendous uh, poverty, warfare, um, societal injustices. This is not the case now. Right now, we have to worry about, unfortunately, sometimes our neighbors or uh, varying communities around us. And this has led to uh, fear, uh, understandable fear, but it's also uh, led to a lot of misconceptions about who the terrorists are. And this is what we sort of dealt with today. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So, Judge, can you tell us what the FISA court is and kind of where its role is as it relates to terrorism? The FISA court was established uh, way back in 1978, uh, and it's uh, evolved over the years. It's changed. Uh, it's composed of 11 U.S. district judges from around the country. And uh, Each judge serves as a duty judge in the court secure location in Washington, D.C. for a week at a time to receive applications from the Department of Justice for surveillance, either physical or electronic, of uh, those who have, uh, are suspected of terrorist activities or involvement with uh, terrorist organizations. And um, each judge is appointed by the Chief Justice of the United States for a term. And each of the judges uh, has their own docket back at home in their court. Uh, I happen to be in the Western District of Virginia, and so I have a regular criminal docket there. And so every uh, six weeks or so, I go to D.C. for a week and and hear these uh, cases in our secure facility there. Mm. And that's a long trip for you, isn't it? (laughs) It, It's a long trip for me, and I'm away from my wife in bed and 
uh, Labradoodle. Yeah, <laughs> we, we live right outside of D.C., and we don't like going in there either. So. <laughs> um, Cindy, I, I know that we've talked a little bit about mass surveillance and whether or not it's helpful in the war against terrorism, and I think you hold some rather strong convictions. I do, I do. Um, the you know One of the things that's been revealed in the past few years is the extent to which the FISA court has been pressed into service to... Um, to approve mass surveillance, not the targeted surveillance about whether people are agents of a foreign power, but rather procedures and programs that involve really collection and or analysis of large swaths of completely innocent information on the way towards finding maybe somebody who is a target of surveillance. And you know, I have a couple of positions on this. One are, some of them are legal, but I actually think as a practical matter, using the mechanisms of big data to try to predict who's going to engage in terrorist activity um, is not a very fruitful scenario. And part of that is the reasons that Mr. Hafez has pointed out, which is the terrorism that we're seeing today doesn't follow a pattern that is um, stable enough for it to be used to give a set of predictions or a set of um, behaviors that you could use to train an algorithm to predict who's about to be a terrorist or not. It's also, in the scale of big data, rare enough that there's really not even enough examples of terrorist activity, much less activity that looks enough alike to allow the kind of algorithmic big data tools that uh, the government is relying on to do, I think, what the government is hoping it would do, or at least uh, is telling the American people they're doing, which is predict in advance who's about to be a terrorist. So uh, I submit that it's not really the best tool to do that. When it comes to the role of the FISA court, I, I, even if we decided as a society that this was something we wanted to do at the great expense that we're doing it, I do think that we ought to have these kinds of conversations in a more public forum than the FISA court allows us to have. Um, and that the regular courts should be allowed to really think about whether these activities are uh, within the statutory authority um, constitutional and otherwise subject them to the kind of more rigorous legal scrutiny that the public courts do for other decisions and laws in our society. Uh, the FISA court was really created for a much narrower purpose. Um, it doesn't have the kinds of legal safeguards in it that say if a, a regular judge approves a warrant for someone's arrest or for a raid or for a wiretap, later on down the line that evidence can be thrown out. Uh, through a suppression remedy or other purposes, we haven't seen those same kinds of checks and balances really be implemented in uh, in the context of the kind of secret court activities. And that's why I think it's not a very good fit for what it's being asked to do right now. Do either of you have a reaction to what she just said? <laughs> <laughs> well, there certainly are legitimate criticisms of the process. The difficulty is that we have the, the reason the court was created was to try to safeguard unchecked executive action. Uh, back in the day, back uh, uh, before 1978, there were a lot of scandals because the executive branch of government felt that they had the power to spy on the American citizens without any court intervention at all. And that's why the FISA court was created. Times change, but Congress has given the FISA court uh, some new 
uh, advantages, I think, that, that help. For example, more of its uh, records and opinions uh, have been unclassified and are being unclassified. We now can have a panel of uh, lawyers who are experts in privacy and national security law who help the court in specific cases Uh, So it's not just one-sided. We're just not hearing from the government. Uh, We're hearing from these uh, outstanding attorneys who are, in essence, representing the public. So I can't, uh, uh, I don't make the decisions about whether we have a FISA court or not. Uh, I I do the best I can uh, under the law to safeguard uh, the rights of citizens and at the same time, uh, authorized within the law, the government, uh, uh, as the act permits, uh, to try to find uh, terrorists who exist in our country. Well, I think it's important to amplify the point about changing nature and patterns of terrorist recruitment. And I think Ms. Cohen's point about how terrorists constantly change the way that they seek to undertake their operations. We're witnessing that in front of our own eyes today. I'm not sure our security and legal measures have really kept up with that change. Um, You know, the best way to to think about terrorism is to, in some ways, put yourself in the shoes of a terrorist. Um, As we've developed profiles over the years, as we've developed uh, ways of seeking to foil plots, we've noticed that the terrorists themselves are changing. So, for instance, the tremendous shift to social media, uh, the, uh, the appeal to converts, for instance, instead of traditional uh, members of the Muslim communities, uh, increasing reliance on individuals with criminal records, uh, recruitment within prisons, or so on. All of these suggest that the terrorist is a really adaptable adversary, and sometimes our legal and security measures do not keep up with that level of uh, versatility that they've exhibited. So on top of that, of course, we always have to keep in mind the big picture, and the big picture is this. We live in societies, we're blessed to live in societies that are free, democratic, abide by rule of law and legal protections for privacy and civil liberties. To the extent that we begin to go too far, just in the interest of fighting terrorism, to impinge on those civil liberties, to impinge on those rights, in many ways we are delivering the message that the terrorists have indeed won. Well, before we close out for today, I have one last question for you. If our listeners would like to follow up, how can they reach you? Cindy? Well, EFF.org, of course, is the EFF website. We would, uh, I'm available there and reachable there, but also a wealth of information on these topics and many other things. The FISA court actually has a public website uh, on which uh, several hundred unclassified opinions are listed. The identities of the judges are shown and other information is provided about the court. The Naval Postgraduate School um, has a list of the faculty directory there and you could reach me there and just simply Google Mohammed Hafiz and you'll find me. (laughs) Well, I want to thank our guests for joining us today. We want to thank our listeners for tuning in. If you like what you've heard today, please rate us in iTunes. We'll see you next time for another episode of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. There's a lot of distractions. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. 
Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook. Or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.